and it really changed uh, when my daughter was born in 1998. When I when I held this this tiny little life in my hands, and it's like, man, I got to get my shit together because if I'm going to help her at all, I, I got to get, I got to fix myself. Is there anyone out there? From darkness to life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. And we are underway, I think. Yes, we are. Uh, back here in the Plugged In Media Network studio with another episode of From Darkness to Life. Got Ryan here today, obviously. This is me and Amber. Hey, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How's your day going? Pretty fabulous. Having a good day. Having a good week. Yeah. I feel like um. Yeah, it's been a really great mental week for me. Staying warm. Staying warm. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's crazy cold out there. Hey? Oh, it's so gross. It's so nice that it's warming up. I'm going skiing with my family tomorrow, so it looks like we're gonna have a good day on the hill. Sweet. Yeah. That's almost. That's always my biggest dilemma. We know we're coming in this studio and it's boiler heated, right? So we're dressing for the temperatures outside. Then you gotta wear a t-shirt in here. And <laughs> Dave likes to cook us out. Yeah, he uh, sure does. Yeah, we got a special guest here, uh, Mr. Bob Wilkie. How are you today? Things are great, guys. It's uh, a, g- a good day to be here. And uh, yeah, funny that you're talking about the cold and everything. We had our furnace crap out on us uh, Monday night at 11 o'clock when it was minus 26. So um, yeah, interesting challenges getting the fireplace going and everybody sleeping in the living room. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. That's Murphy's law. I think when, when it gets cold, like that's something either the, the furnace or the hot water heater, one of them usually goes. It's a, it's amazing. It's not the first time that we've had to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very familiar with that story. Cause it yeah. happened to me two years ago. <laughs> oh God, not me yet, but I'm sure my time will come. Amber, I hope you never have to go down that road. Me too. My husband works away too, so like I don't even know what I would do if he was gone. I just freeze or probably go to somebody's house and be like, "We got to come over." (laughs) Uh, Absolutely, good thing to have close friends. Yeah, right. Yeah, right on. So yeah, we got uh, like Amber said, we got Bob Wilkie on the show today. Anybody who isn't familiar with Bob, um, just a quick rundown, and maybe Bob, you can tell us a little more. But I know I had the privilege. We were talking earlier about being from Swift Current, watched you play in the WHL for the Swift Current Broncos for a few years. And uh, I know you were unfortunately involved in some of that tragic, in that tragic bus crash back then in, I think it was 86 maybe. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, went on, you know, persevered and resilient as you are, went on to having a pretty successful professional hockey career, coaching and whatnot. And now uh, you can, throughout this episode, I'm sure we'll talk about what you're doing now, but it's, it's amazing. Your website is awesome. And what you're doing just gives me goosebumps when I read through it, all the stuff you're doing with, I got mind ink. So it's pretty awesome. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Bob, other than what I've already spoke. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey. Um, I just, I just hit the 53 mark and, you know, I've learned over the course of those years that it's a good time to just kind of sit and reflect on what I've experienced and what I've gone through. And, you know, some of what you talk about uh, as a young man and, and the uh, experience in Swift Current, you know, it was a challenging time. Um, I was playing here in Calgary, you know, being a Calgary boy, it was a childhood dream and, you know, kind of king of the castle, right? Walking around high school and playing in the highest league that you can and then getting traded to Swift Current. And the culture shock alone, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, going from big city to small town it was really hard, you know, living with a different family, again, really challenging, uh, playing with a whole different team, um, all while in my draft year, um, we're just, it was just a huge challenge that I was not prepared for. I bet. And, um, create a lot of stress, create a lot of, uh, anxiety, um, you know, started to feel some of that depression and then the bus accident happened and the wheels completely came off. Um, uh, you know, from that moment in time, I was, I was never the same person again. And over the course of my, uh, you know, life's experiences, I've um, had some really good highs and I've had some really low lows and I'm excited to talk about all of that today. Yeah, that's amazing. And we can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story and uh, being, you know, open and vulnerable. And uh, we talk about that all the time as, you know, individuals out there really struggling with same types of things that we're struggling with or have struggled with. And I'm sure it's the same for you. You run into individuals all the time and 
you know, unless we start really talking about this and opening the door and normalizing these conversations, people just stay out there struggling for so long. And, uh, we all know the consequences of that eventually. So this, this is exactly what we do and, you know, open up the door, like I said, to these conversations. Hey, Amber. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because, and we talk about that all the time, you know, everybody, everybody's stories are different or different, but our outcomes are usually the same, you know, suicide thoughts, drug addiction, isolation, mm-hmm. guilt, shame, but everybody's just got a unique story to them. That it's the same there. foxhole we end up in for sure. Yeah. Right? It's not where we intend to go, but <laughs> holy shit, all of a sudden now I'm here. And, um, you know, it, it, it prevents uh, or provides an even greater challenge because I, I didn't know how I ended up there. I, I was this really clean kid that uh, didn't believe in drinking and smoking and athletes worked hard and, you know, all these things. And, and all of a sudden you find yourself in that place where you're doing all those things and, and you can't see the light anymore. And it's unfortunate, but um, there's so many things about life that we don't know, we don't understand. And we've really found in the work, you know, since 2008 with, I got mine is that the contributing factor um, is our ignorance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just don't know. Absolutely. And I, and I think that you, you nailed it with, you know, we talk about that in the studio and with other people all the time is we don't know what we don't know. And, you know, I can speak in my own experience growing up as a young man, similar, you know, playing a lot of hockey growing up and this and that. I was the same way. I didn't ever once think I was going to have a problem with alcohol or drugs or mental health or that stuff happens to other people. It won't happen to me. I work hard. I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And I was tied to all these labels. And man, I remember sitting there when at 40 years old, when I was, you know, decided to take my life thinking, how the heck did I get here? And it really is that lack of awareness, you know, so many times we, we, we did something in December for hockey Calgary when the Kyle beach story came out oh, yeah. and obviously being in swift current with Graham and Sheldon and, you know, that whole thing, mm-hmm. um, that, that sexual abuse piece. Uh, and then over the years doing this work, there's so many different things that have come up and communities and groups of people that have had to deal with that. It's amazing how many people just automatically think, well, that won't ever happen here. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and it is that avoidance. That's again another major issue uh, of why we struggle so much. You know, first we've got our ignorance, so we don't even know what we don't know. But then when something happens, we just avoid it and we don't want to deal with it, right? We don't want to become educated. We don't want to get ahead of it. Um, I, I don't want to think about it. You know, people say that all the time, and, and I mean these are all the things that contribute to society being as broken as it is. I mean, it's it's never been more broken than it is right now. <laughs> which is really ironic because we're never, we've never been more advanced as a society and yet we're the brokest we've ever been. We're obviously doing something wrong. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? I know I, over the last four or five years, I've heard that so much, even prior to the pandemic that we've never been more connected than we are today, you know, with all our social media apps and all the technology. But the other side of that coin is I don't think we've ever been like you just said, Bob, I don't think we've ever been more disconnected and alone and isolated than we are today as well. It's, um, it's good. You know what I mean? Like you got to hit, um, through my own personal experiences, I knew that I had to rock bottom so that I could, you know, go up and, and Ryan, I'm sure that you you've experienced that too, right? When you're, when you're sitting there considering taking your own life, you don't get any lower than that. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that's the ultimate um, terrible, tragic, sad uh, ending. Mm-hmm. And when we hit that place, we get to make a decision, right? There's one of two things we can do. We can start to live or, or we can pull the trigger. Yep. And, you know, the unfortunate part is um, because of the ignorance, because of the avoidance, uh, you know, because we're not willing to be vulnerable and tell somebody that we're broke. Um, and we dealt with it in the community medicine hat, uh, uh, last year when we were doing some of our mental health presentations, just about how we end up in that place. Because yeah. I know when I tell my story all the time, people are like, man, you know, I, I was, I was 24 years old. I was playing for the Philadelphia Flyers. We're playing against the Detroit Red Wings, the team that originally drafted me. And I'm looking out at the Detroit river at three in the morning. And I'm thinking, this is the perfect time to end it. Wow. Because if I get all the way to the top of the mountain, I've reached my childhood dream. This is everything I've sacrificed and worked for. And I still feel like this. What's the point? Yeah. Wow. Hey. Wow. Yeah. And people are just shocked by that because they would assume that, 
yeah, you've reached the top of the mountain. What the hell do you have to worry about? <laughs> well, it was all the issues that were started beforehand that were never dealt with that created that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing we talk about, especially being in recovery from addiction. We talk about how, you know, it's easy to, at the time I thought it was the drugs and the alcohol were the problem, but now seven plus years in recovery, I rec- easily recognize that that was my solution to all my other problems. And it worked amazing until it stopped working. And that's when things got really dark. And uh, I, I can so relate to what you're saying there. And that's why we chose this, the name of this podcast from darkness to life. Cause all of us have been in that dark spot before and it's all, it's different for everybody. But when I was in that truck for 14 hours, trying to overdose in the middle of a field and Amber knows this story, it was pitch black. It was three in the morning. And I remember no lights as far as I could see thinking finally the outside matches the inside. It was so dark. And then, yeah, like you said, you have a choice, right? And at that time, my choice was to finish it. And I tried, it wasn't for a lack of trying, but you know, through God's will and whatnot, here I am today. And then it was that choice. Now I got to start living. And for me, it was, you know, taking other people's suggestions. Cause up until then I thought I knew it was best for me and I knew everything. And man, that took me right to suicide. I didn't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, you know, a really important point too, is, you know, so many times when people are experiencing um, or starting to walk down the dark hallway, um, our ego plays tricks on us. And it says, you'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You don't need to tell anybody. You don't need to reach out. And you have people. And I I don't know how you were, Ryan, when you were going through it, but I had people around me that were saying, are you okay? Are Mm -hmm. you sure you're okay? I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Knowing that I wasn't. And, and what I've come to learn is that, you know, that walk down that dark tunnel was, was simply, um, you know, my ego getting involved, you know, and having a very unhealthy ego where I felt like I could figure my way out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what started the problems is when the initial problem happened, it's like, oh, it'll just go away. You know, it'll just, it'll just, no, it doesn't. Right. Right. And I think that's where you know, anybody that's listening that might be feeling like that, it's important to understand you can't get out of this yourself. Um, it, it's so important that you, and then, you know, there's somebody out there in your life that you could call up right now <laughs> and say, you know what? Uh, I, I think I need help. And they'd be over there uh, providing that help for you. And, and that is the first and most important step is being able to raise your hand and say, uncle, yeah, and we we even talk a lot about that in people in long term recovery, of just always reminding them that 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 journey never ends either. Right, the second you stop working on on recovery, you start sheltering yourself as well. You never stop asking for help or being able to be vulnerable is the way to keep ourselves accountable to our own mental health and our addictions. Yeah. No, totally. And like what you were saying, Bob, earlier, I, I, I completely relate to that, you know, thinking, I had a gentleman say it the other day that you can't think your way out of a problem that you thought your way into. And for me, that really resonated with me because it was like, you're saying, right. That bad ego and, and, oh, I got this and no, it's not so bad. And all these things, right. And I'm a man and I should be able to fix my way out of this. And man, I thought my way, I tried every possible way, you know, to, to get out of substance abuse and, and deal with my mental health, tried to think my way out of it all. And I tried every idea that I could think of and man, none of it worked. And you were so right that we need help with this. Everybody does. One of my teachers was the great Bob, Bob Proctor and, and Bob just passed away not too long ago. And I remember sitting with Bob and, and I was doing that, right. I, I was saying all those things and, and this and that and, and he's like, hold on a second. He says, do you realize what you're doing? And I said, no. And he says, well, you're rationalizing. Mm. And I said, okay, yeah. He says, well, do you know what that means? And I said, no, I don't know what that means. He says, you're rationing the lies that you're telling yourself. Right. Right. And, and that was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing, right? And, and I'd been lying to myself. You know, you have that aha moment. I'd been lying to myself for so long, um, which caused me to lie to other people. Mm which just, you know, made the walk down the dark hallway that much more frustrating, scary, um, and, and uncertain because I wanted to, but that unhealthy ego and not knowing, um, yeah, I just, I, I just didn't when, when I should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that's a powerful statement. And you know, that for me, that coincides with 
some of the negative, well, I didn't know they were negative at the time, but some of the core beliefs I had growing up about what a man was and all these things. Right. And then like you're, you were just saying, I would work in narratives that would reaffirm these negative core beliefs and make me continue doing what I was doing. And, you know, manipulate people or manipulate circumstances to fit that core belief and reaffirm that, yep, that's what it is. And just continue down that, like you so eloquently put it, dark hallway, because it was a long hallway. It took me 40 years to get to the end of it. And then it was black at the end. Yeah. One of the things that we've been able to identify in the work is, is um, the conditioning. Mm. Um, and, And when you think about, you know, how history has unfolded just in the last hundred years, um, you know, we've got one world war, then we've got a second world war, then we've got a great depression, then we've got a pandemic, then we've got another war. And, you know, we've got all these different things. And, and so people figured out after the second world war that, um, you know, this is what we're going to have to be and then the great depression and, and all those different things. People became very resilient and, and, you know, men became stoic and men became tough and, mm-hmm. and men, drank to solve their problems because of all these soldiers coming back from the war with PTSD. And, and, and so that conditioning just continued on and continued on. And then there was a generation and, and Simon Sinek is, is great to listen to if you haven't listened to Simon Sinek, but he talks about the millennials, you know, because all these generations that acted a certain way and men have to be a certain way. And, and, and you know, all these right. different issues. And, and all of a sudden we get to a generation that says, you know what, screw that. I don't believe in that. I'm not going to do that but they don't know how to do it another way. So they overcorrect. And now what's happened with the future generations that we found is that there is none of the actually really good values that that generation of baby boomers had. We've discounted all of them. They're all garbage. They all don't work. Actually, there was a couple of them in there that were really good. Mm -hmm. And so there's not that blend of, of the old, which is good because a lot of it was simplicity we've just overcomplicated things. We've overcorrected things. And, you know, we see it in youth sports all the time. People talk about, you know, the helicopter parents, right. And, and over the last three years that has changed because now it's not helicopter parents that are constantly hovering. Now they're calling them snowplow parents where they're just going to bulldoze any of the issues that their kids are going to have to deal with. Well, what the hell do you think that that's going to do for your kid when they have to make their own decisions and live on their own? They're not going to have the ability. And that's what we're starting to see is the next generation is going to have more and bigger problems because they haven't had the opportunity to experience life, Mm -hmm. develop the resiliency and and the skill sets that are going to be required to live in a very, very fast moving time. Yeah, I talk a lot with my, me and my husband talk a lot about that in regards to like natural consequences for our kids and and letting our kids fail because we need them to grow. And you do see that a lot. We always want to pick up the pieces or answer all of our kids' questions, but it, it won't serve them. I live on a philosophy of natural consequences are the way you learn. I don't, I don't want my kids to do really bad things. And of course, I would probably try to correct if, if I felt necessary, but I do try to live on a natural consequence policy in our house so that our kids can use their own minds to think things through and, and just kind of guide them along their journey. Mm-hmm. Wow. Accountability is a real issue in the world today. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to be accountable. Mm-hmm. You look at what's happening in, in politics. I mean, we, it's amazing how we have such a split and not one of the people that are, you know, supposed to be showing leadership, the ones that we thought were going to be the are able to stand up and say, you know what, we screwed up. We, we didn't know. We weren't sure. Instead, what they do is they blame the other side or they stick to the narrative. Again, what do they do? And they're rationalizing. Yeah. They're rationalizing all that. So what do they do? And they're rationing the lies. Well, that's confusing us. It, it's causing us to become more separated and creating more issues than ever before, simply from a lack of accountability. I screwed up. Yeah. My bad. Let's mm-hmm. get on with it. Mm-hmm. For sure. And that accountability piece, I can speak from my own experience and I'm sure you can resonate with it. Amber is, you know, coming through life the way I did and ending up where I ended up at 40 years old and, you know, completely eyeballs deep in active addiction in these things. Right. It wasn't until I became willing to be accountable for my piece of all that. And, and that's when the things started to change, right? I could deflect and justify and rationalize all I wanted. And that's what got me to that place at the end. But when I was open-minded and willing to become accountable and own my shit and clean up my side of the street, that's when things really started to change and continuously doing that and being accountable from that day forward has completely flipped my life 180. 
Yeah. And, you know, growing up in, in the world of sports and being talented, you know, people saying that you have something, they, they allow you to not be accountable in certain areas, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have to go to school because we had a long road trip. I didn't have to submit assignments because, you know, we, we had three games and three, all these different things. And, and so you learn because you're living in a different world. You learn that I, I don't have to be accountable for my actions. And that's why we see so many athletes struggle, um, you know, when we hear them in the news and, and the NBA and the NFL and the NHL, and, you know, all these elite leagues with these athletes having these problems. It's because they've not lived in a world where they were held accountable because they were special. Yeah. Boy, and then you get into the real world and everybody in the real world doesn't give a shit who you are and where you came from. <laughs> and they all want to hold you accountable. And, and this is why a lot of athletes really struggle with that transition is because I'm, I'm not special anymore. And people are holding me accountable to that. And I don't like it. And mm -hmm. I don't know how to do it. <clears throat> Will we ever see a change in the sport industry and accountability, knowing that, that it leads to a poor outcome long-term? Is there anything different that's happening that sets kids up for success? Because kids really do, like yourself, get into hockey quite young. You live somewhere else. That's a, that's a lot to take on as a really young child when you're really in a position of changing as an individual and growing. You know, the, there's a lot of science that's come out in the last, you know, 15 years that, that is showing us that how the brain develops and, and why things are so critical at certain stages. And, you know, the unfortunate part is the competitiveness and the opportunity for, um, you know, kids to become successful. The, the parents have lost a, a healthy perspective and they continue to put them in and put them in and put them in and put them in and spend and drive and, and the way that we've been able to equate it is, you know, when you take your kid to an all you can eat buffet, it's funny to watch them go, <laughs> right? You let them go nuts and that plate's full and they got all the desserts. <laughs> and, and, and so that's when we introduce them to the game of hockey or soccer or whatever it is, they fall in love with it. This is the greatest thing I get to go and be. And, and, and then what we're doing is we're telling them as soon as they're finished saying, okay, now you got to go do it again. And so the next time they go up, the plate's a little less full you know, again, they're not making the healthy choices. They're eating more ice cream than something else. And then as soon as they're done that, then we're asking them to go again. And the third time they go up, it's like, I got no more room. I can't do it. And, and this is what we're seeing in youth sports is because the parents are pushing so much, figuring that, that you know, this is what my kid says he wants and boom, boom, boom. And we push and push and push. Um, and then the kids don't want to let the parents down and say something that I'm not enjoying it as much or that I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm because there's that guilt and shame that comes with it. It's like, well, all your friends are doing it and they're going to get ahead of you and you don't want to be left behind. And I don't want to deal with you, you know, crying because you don't make the triple a team. So you better get your ass in gear and go and do that. And, and so we we've really been able to attribute so many of the issues that the young people are dealing with to the inability of the parents and the adults to, to really see what they're doing to these young athletes. Yeah. They're, just an unnecessary amount of pressure. You set them up for failure. It's actually very sad. I don't have kids who play hockey, and I, obviously, I didn't play hockey myself or grow up in in uh, in a household of anybody who plays hockey. So I just find this super interesting to learn about the pressures. And I know there's pressures in all areas, but I don't understand it completely. When I know, you asked, you know, are people are people willing to change, or is it going to change? Mm -hmm. Not until the people start to change. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's doesn't just necessarily, you know, pigeonhole hockey. I think that's no. everywhere in society. Right. And, you know, speaking to that pressure as a young kid playing hockey and whatnot, I played growing up as well. And I can always remember, you know, playing up a few levels and this and that, and, uh, the pressure of parents, the pressure of coaches, the pressure of your peers and whatnot. Right. But then when you made that move, Bob, maybe you can resonate with this too. And I think you touched on it earlier, but when I made my move to junior and moved away from home and was living in the United States and, you know, so scared of failing and so scared of letting my dad down and all the pressure throughout minor hockey to be this, you know, this player. Um, and that fear of getting traded, right? If I have a few shitty games, am I going to get traded? Am I going to have to move farther away? All these different pressures that, you know, a lot of people don't think about. And that's when I found how good alcohol worked to cope with a lot of that shit. And, <laughs> and I found the guys on the team that like to drink like I 
the way I could drink. Right. And then nobody had a problem. We all drank the same way and we all coped the same way. And, you know, that just led to that more steps down that dark hallway eventually. But that's, you know, that pressure that mounted to be great in school, to be great on the ice, all these things. Oh my goodness. I can put myself back in that position right now. And it's what a heavy weight to carry around. And when you live in that kind of emotional pain and the fear and the terror that that creates, we, we know through the brain science that um, it, it's a very unhealthy place to live for any length of time. But when, when we do it for an extended period of time, it's going to cause damage. You are going to look for some sense of relief. And, you know, because these conversations, because talking about our feelings, because, you know, working things out is not mainstream, what do we do? Well, I've got, I've got to be able to figure out how to ease this pain. Hey, that looks like fun. That might work. And, and boom, all of a sudden the addiction starts because of the dopamine in our brain that that's constantly telling us is like, let's get out of the pain. Let's get out of the pain. Then we know that this will work and, and our ship is sunk. Absolutely. And then that reward system is already fired up before you even head out to get a box of beer or whatever, right? You know, that's the escape route and your, your body's already ramped up for it. Yeah. And that, you know, the farther you go on and the farther you condition your brain to, you know, to the brain, even the brain science behind it, right? The farther you condition yourself to, for that reward system, the less your brain functions normally. And man, there's no way to come back from that. The farther you go down, it's, it's going back to what we talked about earlier, right? Trying to think your way out of this problem. And it wasn't until I learned about the science of addiction in the brain and what it actually does, substance abuse and all these things, right? That I finally realized, holy shit, I didn't have a, I didn't have a chance to get out of this on my own. Yeah, that'd be similar to me. I didn't even know I was heading. I was so young. I had no idea I was heading into addiction, right? Before I was basically homeless and thought, wow, I fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Like here I am, right? I'm homeless. I'm, I'm severely malnutritioned at this point. And yeah, that was my rock bottom. I was the person just helping you feel your addiction that you really didn't know was coming to surface as a teenager to you, right? For sure. It, it is, you know, and, and, you know, again, so what are we talking about? We're talking about ignorance. We're talking about avoidance, right? Yeah. These things are predictable. And, and it's really interesting because, you know, you look at the insurance industry, why does the insurance industry know what to charge for a 16 to 22 year old female? Because they have all these numbers and all these data that support they're, they're, they're not the best drivers, right? They're more likely to have an accident than any other demographic so we're going to charge them more. People are very predictable, right? Humans are very predictable. And, and when you start to learn about behavior and why we exhibit that behavior, um, it's so powerful um, because now I don't have to act like that anymore. And I think that that was the biggest frustration me is that I didn't want to act like that. I didn't want to experience any of that. But it was really interesting when I would finally raise my hand or ask somebody, a coach would say, you know what, Wilkie, you better fucking change your attitude. And I'd be like, great. Somebody acknowledges, I would love to change it. Tell me how. And they would say, you better fucking figure it out. Right. And, yeah. and so there, I finally raised my hand and asked for help. And that's the response I got is I better fucking figure it out. Well, if I could fucking figure it out, I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, right? <clears throat> yeah. And those, you know, you talking about insurance companies and all the data and stuff, right? That takes me back. And we're talking about, we're talking about youth and kids and stuff. And that always takes me back to the training I had around the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences scale and what that looks like, right? And how predictable that is when you start looking at the numbers coming from those things. I did one myself here about two years ago and I thought, holy shit, I scored almost a full slate on that thing. And I thought, man, and, and everything that came down the pipe later on, I can relate it back to a lot of those childhood experiences. Yeah. Mine was good and high too. I did mine like maybe a couple months ago. Yeah. I was like, Oh, makes sense. Interesting, right? <laughs> Not surprised. It's up here. And it's so predictable yeah. when you see youth fill those out now. And, and man, it's so predictable what, what direction people are headed when they're yeah. impacted by those experiences. Yeah. Even mine too. Like mine was, you know, I grew up in a house of an addict, so naturally I don't, I'm not a good communicator. I don't know how to ask for help. Everybody in my house was sheltering the addiction already going on in our house. Mm -hmm. So naturally that's what I know. And for you, Bob, what was it like, you know, going back to 86, 
what kind of supports were available after such a horrific traumatic event like a bus crash where four teammates passed away? What kind of supports were available after that? Well, there were psychologists, you know, there, there was therapists. Um, my mom tried to force me to go see one. And anytime you try and force somebody <laughs> who's in denial, is it's not going to work out well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, nothing happened. Um, was there support from the team or the league, you know, to say, Hey, like they've gone through some shit here. We got a new bus and we were back playing again. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the unfortunate part is we had, um, you know, a, a, a very unhealthy leader in Graham James. Right. Um, so there's all sorts of bad shit going on in the background. And obviously he doesn't want any kind of therapy or psychologist coming in and start probing around because, you know, that could be found out. So I think that that's probably why there wasn't more support. And, and you know, it was a sign of the times. It was 1986. Trauma ha hadn't even come out yet. So yeah. I, you know, people ask me all the time, do you think it would be, would have been different if Graham wasn't there? I don't know. I just think where we were in the world at that time, there just wasn't a lot of knowledge like <clears throat> there is today. Yeah. Wow. And, and, you know, I, I think back, like we talked earlier, I think back to those times following that bus accident and seeing, you know, the success of the Broncos a season or two later when you guys won the Memorial Cup and all these things. And I thought, man, these guys are so amazing. They just lost some teammates. They're doing all these things, right? But now that I'm, you know, removed from that 30 or 40 years later, here we are talking about it and yeah, just uh, shedding some light on it, what it was really like and I can so relate to that, you know, trauma wasn't even a word really back then, unless it was brought out by a fireman or something. That's all you ever heard of was, you know, it was nothing to do with sports. It was nothing to do with, especially with men. And and the reason I asked you about the supports after a bus crash is I just wanted to see what the mindset was for you guys, because I know when my, my dad, I rolled up on him in a vehicle accident, he rolled his truck and died in 06. And I came up on the accident scene and saw him in his truck passed away. And I was the same way you should see a counselor you should see a psychologist all these things right and i was like fuck that i don't I, that's not what my dad would do and i'm a man and i went back to work four days later and just drank a little more <laughs> yeah wild trauma trauma is a very powerful thing and understanding trauma being trauma informed mm -hmm. is so critically important for everybody you know it, it, it should be a course that they take in school Right. So that people understand when something happens and you start to feel differently, this is why. Right. And if you are feeling any of these things, this is what you should do. Mm -hmm. And and when we could, if we could do that, you think about all the pain that we could save for not only the individuals, but society as a whole, because how many people are going into relationships or workplaces that, that are suffering with some form of trauma? Yeah. Right. There's, there's so there's so many different types of trauma. There's so many, and it's an individualized response. You know, Ryan, uh, uh, Amber, you guys could go through something, um, and it doesn't affect you at all. But me, it completely cripples. Mm -hmm. And and here's the problem with society: you two are going to look at me and go, "What the hell's this problem? Like, toughen up, dude." Yeah. Right. Like, what? That it's not a big deal. But to me, it was. Mm -hmm. Could it be from some some past trauma that was very triggering for me? It could be a bunch of different things, but we're very quick to judge other people for their reactions to something that doesn't affect me, but it does affect you. So, you know, that education around trauma and, and what they're finding out, um, we work with Hull Services and Hull Services is trained by Dr. Bruce Perry in trauma. Dr. Bruce Perry is the one that's on with Oprah um, in the Me You Can't See. So, I mean, he's world-renowned. Um, if you ever want to learn some more, he's got some great books that are fantastic to help. Um, the, the, the boy who was raised as a dog was one that was very interesting that talked about, you know, what we experience as kids really does form who we are. Mm -hmm. And, and I think if we can all become a little bit more aware, a little bit more educated and a little bit more accountable for how we're doing those things. Yes. Th there is, there is so many things wrong with the world. Um, but I got to own my shit, you know, Ryan, you said it earlier, right? And and the minute that I can start doing that before I have kids, before I think about those things, then I can, then I can contribute positively to a world that is very, very chaotic and challenging on, on a good day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's a lot to wrap my brain around, but it's everything you, <laughs> everything you said is so true, right? Those, those experiences as a child, you know, we have a lot, we talk about that on a podcast here recently and <clears throat> we have a lot of uh, individuals, a lot of parents that reach out and, and have children or, you know, adolescents that are struggling with mental health and, and substance use or whatnot. Right. And a lot of times the people that reach out to us, it's substance use, but they're like, man, I really want to help my kid. And we, we, you know, after talking with them for a while, you know, it's, it's been normalized at home from a young age that dad comes home on a Friday night and hammers beers all weekend and parties with his friends and all these things and the parties at the house. And like, that's the normal that kids are growing up in. And then when they hit 14 or 15 and they have a substance use disorder or they're heading down that hallway, people are like, wow, I didn't see this coming. And I'm like, man, this is, you know, and I was no different growing up. The party was at our house every weekend, right? Or I was in the backseat of a car in front of a curling rink and all these things. And, and I look back now and I'm like, man, you know, we got to really start at that education piece you speak of. We really got to pay attention to what we're doing and what we're portraying to our kids and what's normalized and what's, what's okay. Right. And then, you know, hopefully someday when we talk about is, is there going to be a change? I think you're right. It all starts with people changing and, and recognizing what the problems are and owning their shit. Like it's not a bad thing to own your shit. It's scary as hell at the start, but man, life gets a lot easier when you start owning it and learning from those mistakes and not repeating them over and over and over again. Yeah. And I've really liked what you said, Bob, on like people's reactions of how someone might react differently. And, and I, I always tell my kids too, my kids are teenagers. I said, you know, somebody might be, you know, attacking you or malicious or mean at school. And I said that there's probably a likelihood that something's going on at home. So like we can either seek to understand what might be going on in their situation. And the same is with adults or we just be kind if we don't want to figure that out either. But like usually most people that's, it's totally true is you lash out in many ways and it's usually an internal issue that's, that's going on or something's going on at home that you don't know. Those are what we would call pain-based behaviors, right? That's one of the things that the clinicians that are a part of our team have really helped me understand is, you know, those are pain-based behaviors and creating unhealthy power differentials, the bullying, right? That's because that's what's happening to me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go inherently do that to somebody else, right? Because I'm in pain, I'm going to go and cause pain for somebody else. And, you know, we see it at school where a a kid could be bullied and what is he going to do? He's going to come home, bully his little brothers and sisters, right? Or, or uh, a parent who works in a workplace where, where the boss is very, you know, unhealthy power differential, lots of bullying and lots of abuse. And so what are they going to do? They're going to come home and they're going to unload on their families because, you know, it creates all these negative emotions and these negative emotions are going to express themselves if we don't know how to process or deal with these negative emotions, why we're feeling the way that we're feeling. So again, it's our ignorance that's contributing to it. And, and you know, so many people, uh, it was funny, I was doing a group earlier today with a, a session with a group and we were talking about, I asked the question, why do people get so skitzy when people start talking about mental wealth? what's well, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's acknowledging that I have a weakness. Mm-hmm. And so we've really got to change the verbiage and, 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 and think about different ways to present the information where, where we're not creating that discomfort, right? We're not bringing the elephant into the room. We're taking him out of the room. And so if we can just come up with some different dialogue, if we can teach people about all of the emotions that we experience as individuals, if we can develop the skill sets and the cultures where it's okay to talk about these things. You know, you talked about earlier, Ryan, about normalizing these conversations. I mean, that that's what's critically important, mm-hmm. right? I got a problem. I don't know what the problem is, but I feel like I got a problem and I need some support and help. Is there anybody out there who's in my circle that I think has it together or talks about therapy mm-hmm. or talks about something that they learn? You know, we get online, we, we, we use Twitter, we use TikTok, all these things. And, and we're using it to divide us and create more emotional instability. Instead, when there's a million different resources to solve our problems, why are we not fucking Googling how do I deal with my anxiety rather than getting on Twitter and creating more anxiety? Yeah. Isn't that the truth? That's so true. That's been brought to my attention over the last couple of weeks, right? With what's going on out East and now with what's happening in the Ukraine and you know, my, my fiance is like, why don't you put that phone down? And you're like, that's really fucking you up. 
get off that shit. And, and it's so true. And I'm fully aware of it. And I know better. And that whole self-care piece, right. Is, but I can sit there and it, before long, you're down six pages into this fucking dark hole. And I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? It's so bizarre. Yeah. And you say that, you know, better Ryan, but you do it anyway. Right. Exactly. But yeah. Do you really know better. <laughs> yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And that's a piece Hold that I, shit. yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for that. If Rick was here, he'd be calling me on my shit for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. It's so true though. And, and oh man, I look at, you know, the people that I surround myself with these days compared to the people I surrounded myself with back then. And now my circle is very small, but it has a few psychologists in it, right. That I, that are friends of mine. And it has mostly people in recovery who are open to having these conversations about their struggles and how they got through them, talk about mental wellness, mental health, and what, what that looks like for them. And it, it all goes back to, for me, it goes back to that same kind of uh, mindset around trauma, right? It's, it's not the event itself. It's how it's processed by each individual and, and normalizing these conversations around trauma, mental health, and all that. You're right. You, you spoke about it earlier as well, Bob. And stigma is a big piece that kept me out there unhealthy for so long. And a lot of my friends and whatnot, and a lot of the people that we come across. And I say this all the time that semicolon tattoos and all this other shit that's floating around out there and all the hashtags and stuff are great, but what's the action piece, right? And, and it's reaching out for help and it's talking about our stories and not just telling them it's using them to, to open up those doors to help other people. And that's been the most powerful piece of my recovery is just seeing that light bulb turn on when somebody shares their story or shares what's, their darknesses and what they're struggling with. And suddenly they're like, holy shit, these people get it. And now there's some help. And, and that's it. You know, when I became educated, that's when I could truly help people. When I could solve my own problems, then I can help somebody else try and solve theirs. And and the problem with society today is we're all broken, running around, trying to solve <laughs> everybody else's problems when, when we're just avoiding ours. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's, that's a, that's a major concern. You know, you talked earlier about, you know, your, your circle has gotten smaller and your circle is more around people, you know, that are about mental health and having these conversations like always attracts like, mm-hmm. right. When you're dealing with addiction, you're always going to be in an environment and people that are addicted to. Yeah. Right. That that's why sports is so appealing. That's why workplaces are so challenging is because, uh, you know, sports, I'm like-minded. I, I love the sport and I want to have success. So that's great. In the workplace, we see the big challenge is there's not that common goal. There's not those common values and beliefs. So, fuck, I got to go to work again. Like, I hate this place. (laughs) It sucks, but I don't know what else to do. 60% of the workforce today, this was in a Harvard Business Review, is actively looking for new jobs within the last two years. Because people are finally waking up saying, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to make a change. The problem is a lot of people still have the ignorance they don't even know what to look for. I don't like this. Well, what would you want to do? I don't know, but I don't want this anymore. <laughs> and, and so it's really important to be able to kind of have and create that plan um, of, of where you want to go, who you want to be associated with, what you want it to look like, how you want it to feel. When you give that kind of thought into the environments that you're going to step in, odds are you're going to find those environments. Yeah, for sure. No, that's amazing. I'm going to look up that Harvard review because that's fascinating, that kind of stuff, right? And once again, I can resonate with it because I grew up in the oil and gas industry for 20 plus years working in that. And when I hit my bottom at 40 years old and, you know, psych ward, hospital, back to treatment, everything gone. Now I'm terrified. What the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life? But it's taking that first step, right? And figuring out what I want to do. And it took a long time to figure that out, but here we are today, seven years later, and things are pretty damn good. But what was it like for you, Bob? You mentioned earlier on about, uh, you know, playing for the Flyers and playing against Detroit. And here you are at 3 a.m. looking at the Detroit River. And, you know, maybe that wasn't the moment or the light bulb moment. But what was that like for you at the end of that hallway that you speak of? And what was the turning point for you? When did you say, fuck, I got to figure this shit out. I got I to do. How am I getting out of this? You know, uh, I was a coward, right? I, I couldn't, I couldn't complete the job. Yeah. And so I beat myself up over that too, right? It's like, fuck, you can't even do that. <laughs> me, too, me too. And um, 
I knew I knew who I had lost in my identity. You know, I was a happy-go-lucky. I was a fun guy to be around. I enjoyed the shit out of everything. And so that vision always, I think, kind of gave me hope that that maybe somehow, some way, I can get back to that. And it was it was really interesting. It it was love that that brought it around. Wow. You know, I was constantly looking for that person that would accept me for who I was. That you know, flaws and all, I could just be who I was, and and they would be okay with that. And 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 I met uh, my wife. Wow. And um, that really was a game changer. I felt safe. You know, through all the turmoil, all the shit, um, she was like me. So we were still drinking. I was drinking for a different reason than she was, yeah. but we were able to do that. And 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 it was it really changed uh, when my daughter was born in 1998. When I when I held this this tiny little life in my hands, and it's like, man, I got to get my shit together because if I'm going to help her at all, I, I got to get I got to fix myself. And that was really the motivation. So you know. For me, um, there's a great song by Lenny Kravitz uh, called "Let Love Rule," and um, that that's it for me. You know, when when you can uh, love yourself, when you can love others, when you can accept love, that's when anything's really possible. That's amazing! Wow, so true. Very powerful. Ooh. Goosebumps, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know something really cool has been said when I just sit here and have to process it for a second and have goosebumps. And that's one of those moments. That's amazing. Right. I love hearing those moments when somebody finally, you know, that light bulb comes on and they figure out, I got to do something about this. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember, I remember my light bulb moment. And it was just, I literally woke up one day and thought, I don't actually have to be this person. Like I don't, I'm deserving of far more. I'm deserving of a life. I'm not, I don't need to lead down a path that my mother led and it's not my destiny. And my life has been very different since then. And really, and that is, it's just, it is probably the love in yourself and knowing it's just that I knew that I was, I didn't need to live a life of addiction and, and be down this hole of depression because I, I am a very fun loving individual too. And addiction stole that from me and I didn't, I didn't deserve that. Through love creates acceptance, right? And yeah. and I learned, you know, by becoming educated and finding answers and solutions, that I'm full of flaws, and and that's okay, right? But I could finally accept that because I grew up in a culture where having any flaws was not a good thing. Yeah, and and that's all you heard was all the flaws you had, right? That was the feedback that you got, right? And, and what we've learned about, you know, the importance of that is. When, when we hear that negative feedback, when, when the flaws are validated. So the way I feel about myself and then other people are validating that that's the truth, right? People always used to say, what the fuck is wrong with you, Wilk? You know, after the bus accident, that validated that there was something wrong with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and so as I started to kind of shift the narrative, as I started to understand and learn about my unhealthy ego and all these different things, that, that's when I could really start to take the positive actions to, to – to change the way that I was talking to myself, to change the way that I allowed other people to talk to me and, and really accept myself for who I was flaws and all, Mm -hmm. right. There's no such thing in this world as perfect. Tell me one thing in this world. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. Good luck. We're waiting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're all flawed and, and, you know, love really does bring that acceptance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ryan, you got flaws, Amber, you got flaws, but that doesn't mean that I have to think of you any differently. For sure. I accept you for those flaws. And, and I think that's why we've seen so many relationships really fail um, during the pandemic and, and for divorce to be absolutely off the charts is because people can't get to that point where I can just accept you for who you are. Yeah. You drive me nuts. You leave the fucking toilet seat up. You don't, you don't clean the dishes. You don't do this. Well, you either accept it or you don't. Yeah. Wow. It's so true. And <clears throat> I think Another thing with the pandemic, right? And everybody's stuck at home for a few years. We're spending a lot more time with each other than we ever have before. And, you know, we're isolated. We're all these things and all the negative social media and all these things. And it's so easy to start nitpicking and finding the flaws in everybody around you that, you know, maybe these flaws were overlooked before. But I know we got to a point in our house too, where we not, you know, we're talking about splitting up or anything, but there was a lot of 
prevalent things that never used to be. And we'd talk about them, right? And we'd be like, holy shit, what is this all about? What is happening here? <laughs> but it all came back to that love and communication piece that that really pulled us through a lot of those hard times over the last years is let's sit down and really have an honest, open conversation about this instead of just bullshitting our way through life. And and that's the one piece with this relationship. And it sounds like you have something similar, Bob, and I know Amber, you do, where, you know, my spouse we can sit down and have a, a true, genuine, fully transparent conversation and not judge each other or hate each other or slam a door and walk out. It's just, let's get the cards on the table and work our way through this shit because that's just what healthy relationships are all about nowadays. I think the capacity um, for us to be able to do that has increased a hundred times. Are there still certain areas that are no-go zones? For for sure they are because we're human beings. And, and I just know if I push that button, it's a fucking nuclear reactor, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and, and I'm not willing to go there, nor do I really need to at this point. Um, it's a challenge, man. Like every day really is. It, it's hard. Life is hard. And, and to be mentally well, to live the life that you want is hard. Mm-hmm. And I think because there's been so much convenience created in the world today that we've kind of forgot that, right? If you want to be well, if you want to live and feel fulfilled, if you really want to have an impact positively on your kids and, and all these things, that's hard work, man. It does not just happen. And yeah. I think we've become a very lazy, very soft uh, society. And that's why you see it as broken as it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that coincides well with recovery as well, right? I, I talked to so many people and I was, I fell in that trap the first time I went to treatment. I wanted it fixed right now. And, and just that expedient fix, right? I want it now. And, and I've run into that all the time working with people nowadays, right? Like they want you to fix them and they want to, they want the fast, quick, softer way. And I find that happens a lot in society with everything, but man, anything that's worthwhile is going to take a lot of work, whether that's recovery, whether that's mental wellness, whatever it is, whether that's your career choice, whatever it, nobody just, well, very few people get it dropped in their lap. I, I imagine it happens once in a while, but recovery and mental wellness doesn't just happen overnight. It's a lot of hard work. And Amber, you know, we talk about this lots is even with Dave here at the podcast studio, he can't believe when I tell him stories about what eight years or nine years used to look like nine years ago. Right. And he's like, I can't fathom that, but it, the work that's gone into the last seven years is what's got me to where I am today. And it's not easy and it's continuous and I got to keep doing it every day or else it's so easy to go sideways again. Oh yeah. Like I still actively love to go to therapy. I am. I tell everybody I ain't ashamed of that shit. I go all the time. I have a lot of character defects, things in my life, maybe try like come up and I don't even see them coming. And I want to understand why my behaviors are the way they are in some situations and get a better, better understanding of me too. Right. So I can be a good spouse, a good mom to my children. And yeah, it's like, I think it's a lifelong, like your growth in yourself doesn't change or stop. You have to keep working at it until the day we're no longer here. You know, the, the me too movement, right? Let's maybe change the language and go me first. Mm. Yeah. Right. Because if, if I do that, like you described, Amber, well done, you know, knowing that that going to your therapist is a good thing for you. Right. Being able to talk about those things, because when you're whole, that's when you are going to be the best spouse and the best mom. If yeah. you're half or less than half. Yeah, you're not helping. No, you know, and a lot of people do that, right? They, they, they're not willing to move themselves up the list of importance. I, well, I got the kids and I got my husband, I got the dogs, I got the job, I got the blah, 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 blah. Those are just excuses. What are you doing? You're rationalizing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> up rationalizing and, and start taking care of yourself. We, we always say it. Um, you are the most important person in your life. If you're no good, good luck trying to be what you want to be for everybody else. It's just not possible. Yeah. It's that pouring from an empty cup or a half full cup again, right? It's not going to be very helpful in the long run. Yeah. When I know for me, like in my, in my recovery, um, same thing, right? It was explained to me early on that when I'm making a list of amends, you know, that I need to make to people, I better be number one on that list. Right. And, and I couldn't understand that right early on, but now I realize, you know, if I can't, accept who I am and be accountable and then start that self love piece and start loving who I am. How am I ever going to change and be worthwhile to somebody else or expect them to accept me? Right. If I can't even accept myself. Yeah. 
again, we're raised. Stop being selfish. You're yeah. being selfish. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we are in a little bit unhealthy way, but we lose the ability to realize the importance of being selfish because if we're not selfish with our time, if we're not able to say no, if we're not able to set boundaries, then we are just going to create more shit in our life. That's going to create more drama, which makes me um, less helpful to you. Yeah. And that's, that's really cool that you brought up the word boundaries. Cause that was such a foreign concept to me early on in my life. Right. But I recognize now, and I've heard it through some really good professional speakers and whatnot that we hear this all the time at OCJ. Like we, we help people 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if they reach out. Right. And, and a lot of the helping professionals we hear that feedback. Well, you guys are going to get burnt out. You can't keep doing that. You can't do this. You can't do that. And for me, it was listening to some of these speakers that said, you know, if, if you work on your boundaries and have solid boundaries and take care of your own shit and you, you're accountable, you clean up, you, you know, you, you are healthy on the inside and not just living a bullshit life and you set up some solid boundaries, burnout isn't a thing for you. Yeah. And the more I, I think about that and the more I, I do this role that we're doing in the community here, it's not very often that I ever think about, man, I'm overstretched. I'm, I'm doing too much because that's where those boundaries come in for me. It's amazing how that has changed what I do in my life. Yeah. And I, I think I brought this up in a podcast is that like boundaries, I just recently learned how to put them in, in the last few years. Cause I used to just say yes to everything. So I just didn't really know better. And now like I set them with my husband too. And I'll tell you, we have a whole lot less fighting. There is no less nuclear blowups because I can totally <laughs> blow the house up for sure. But it has made a, honestly a huge impact in in our household too because I just always used to say yes to everything and then you know I just chew him a new asshole when we got down to me actually having to do what he wanted me to do because I just wasn't mentally in the mood or to be doing it. So the the personal awareness to know where you're at. Right. If, if you yeah. imagine yourself as as a gas gauge, right, it's a simple thing. People, everybody knows what a gas gauge is. And so, you know, you start your day, hopefully <laughs> full. And as you go through a day, different things are going to happen and, and it starts to drain out. But what do you know how to do to, to fill yourself up? Right. In a car, we just pull up to the gas station, <clears throat> we fill it up. OK, well, what do you do? Right. To feel more fulfilled. Mm -hmm. What do you do to take care of yourself so that you're not running on empty every day? Because we know that that's going to take its toll. Um, you're going to say and do things. So now you're living with more guilt and shame. Um, you're going to destroy relationships. You're going to feel like crap for doing it. And, and hello, welcome to the party. Yeah. You know, the pity party has begun. And the unfortunate part about the pity party is it, it's pretty lonely. Yeah. There's usually just one. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Hey, yeah. Yeah. And when you're, when your car runs out of gas, it's not, you know, you said pulling up to the pumps or you're not phoning CAA when it's your personal tank, right? Usually it comes in the form of a crisis team or something eventually. Right. And it's, it's not just as easy as, as plugging in the nozzle. It's, it takes work. And we talk about that lots with individuals we work with is when you were really doing well, what were you doing? And then that's that journaling piece, right? And let's figure this out so that you have something almost like a, like an emergency response plan. When you know that things are starting to go sideways, you can refer to that and see what you were doing well when you were doing well. And th those pieces are missing from your day-to-day -day existence nowadays, most of the time. Yeah. And, and people almost don't think of them, mm -hmm. right? They get so lost in the despair of their, you know, their thoughts and their feelings and their shame and their guilt. And just giving them honestly that that one question of like, what were you doing when you were the happiest or, mm -hmm. you know, what is it that you can do that brings you joy? It, yeah. I found that to be super help, helpful in recovery coaching too. Cause yeah, gives people a reminder that they were happy once mm -hmm. like, and you still are, you're just, you're like weight overweighted in, in all the things you think of and tell yourself in addiction. For sure. That, all the shitty things that, you love to tell yourself. That pity party's really yeah. hopping at that point. Yeah. She's full blown. <laughs> No, I mean, what you guys are describing there is that self-reflection piece, right? And, and it is one of the most valuable tools to have in the toolbox is to, at the end of the day is to, to be able to look back and say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that, but here's why I said that, right? And mm -hmm. being able to identify it. And, and that's when we become more aware of those situations. Um, you know, when I wake up, I, I, 
I know if I, I feel a little off, right? In the first half hour, it's like, okay, this is going to be really good. Or you know what? I feel just a little bit off today. Um, so maybe I need to manage my time a little bit better. Maybe I need to, um, you know, get rid of an appointment, you know, because I know that if I overextend myself, I'm going to be running on empty and I'm just going to cause nothing but problems. And it's difficult. It takes that awareness and a little bit of the selfishness. You know, it's shitty when you have to cancel an appointment, but I know that I'm not going to be no good in an appointment anyway. So what's the point of showing up? Yeah, exactly. And you know what you're describing there, that, that reflection piece, right? That's, I always take it back to my foundational piece for recovery was a 12 step program. And then I've, I've fed in lots of other supporting pieces over the years, but that's a step 10 piece for me, this daily moral inventory, right? And that's a, that's a place for me to reflect on my day. Who did I wrong today? Why did I do it? I need to be accountable for it. I got to learn from my shit that I went through today. So I don't bring it into tomorrow and keep repeating this problem. And, you know, I hear so many people talk about, oh, 12 steps, not for me and whatever. That's great. If it's not, it, it's individual recovery, right? But the concepts that it come from a 12 step program are similar to the concepts that come from a therapist or come from smart recovery or whatever that looks like. And that accountability daily piece, daily accountability and reflection piece is huge to me, not dragging shit from today into tomorrow and into the next day and the next day. And it's, you know, a chance to learn from the mistakes I've made and not repeat them. I got to learn from them and change. And that's all coming back full circle to that. People have to change. And how do we change by self-reflection and learning from our mistakes usually. And, and then being accountable. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And that's the, that's the final nail I think is owning your shit and, and the action piece now. Okay. I've owned my shit. I recognize these problems. Now, what do I do about it? Yeah. I can sit and make every list in the world and, or have the best intentions in the world. But until I take action on them, they're just a thought in my head and nothing's going to change until I start putting them into action. So much of what we've done here at I Got Mind is about, you know, spent uh, since 2008 creating curriculum. And at first it was just presentations and then it became uh, workbooks and then it became online content. And it, it's just been this constant evolution through the feedback and the learning of all the individuals. Um, you know, if, if, if your listeners are, are looking for answers of anything today that I have shared mm -hmm. has resonated and, and they think that they might want to learn more the whole goal of, of my mission. And I never thought I'd be doing this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the only thing I ever wanted to be was a hockey player. Um, but this is where I've really felt like I found my purpose. It's mm -hmm. being able to provide information um, to, to, to be able to support other people. So we've got a lot of different uh, courses and, and talks um, that, that really are seeing positive results because we're talking about the things that aren't normal and we're taking that big, elephant and and removing them from the room and making making people feel good about not feeling good wow that's awesome yeah it was a couple of weeks ago we amber had uh tony on our podcast and he had sent me a link to i got mind and amber had sent me one and i started perusing what this was because when she mentioned your name bob i I was like, holy shit, I, I know who Bob Wilkie is, blah, 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 right? But I didn't know what you were doing nowadays. And when I got on your website and started looking around, it just blew my mind. The vast quantity of knowledge and support that you are offering out of I Got Mind, it's I, I, it's amazing. And we're going to definitely put a link to your your website and the things you're doing in our show notes. If any of the listeners want to check this out, it's well worth the the time to look at Bob's website and see what this movement is all about because it's, it's mind-blowing what you guys are doing up there it's, um like i say it's it's very rewarding it's been it's been a great journey uh it's been a huge challenge yeah thank god i grew up in an entrepreneurial home uh, i don't know if i would have had the resilience to get through some of this shit as an entrepreneur i bet um but it is, you know, it, it, it's a fantastic uh, community of people that we deal with. There, there's so many different solutions that we provide. We're not just talking about it. We're showing you how to. Mm -hmm. and I think that was the big thing for me is I could go and read a book. It's like, well, this doesn't make any bloody sense. Yeah. Right. But then I started to find and really search for people that would show me the specific how to. And, and that's when things really started to change. And, and now we have, um, you know, mental health programs for athletes and uh, mental health programs for men and coming soon mental health programs for women we have you know small courses about 
perfection and confidence and attitude and habits and, you know, all the things that we know are, are you know, through the spider web of life tied to how well we are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no one quick fix. And I think that's what people need to realize is uh, once you learn about what your issues are, you're going to see how many different things are connected to creating those issues. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, it, it really takes that full blown effort. Roger Starbuck, I think was the one that said, you know, it's never crowded uh, along the extra mile. And, and that's what you have to be willing to do is kind of go that extra mile, but recognizing that it's for you and nobody else. Yeah. What a great analogy that is, right? Yeah. Amazing. We're just taking notes of all the awesome things you say here. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's uh, anything else that you want to leave the listeners with, Bob? You know, the, the thing for me is uh, you're worth it. Yeah. And um, I, I know that it's scary. I know that it's hard. It may be confusing. Uh, but put your hand up. There's some great talks with Brene Brown about vulnerability mm-hmm. and, and you know, th- that that requires courage and, and so much um, of, of what we're programmed to do is to not be vulnerable because it's shown as a weakness when actually that's one of the greatest strengths that we possess. Put your hand up, make a phone call to a therapist, uh, research some solutions rather than getting on Twitter. Take a first step yeah, and uh, you'll be so happy that you did. Bob, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. And it's been wonderful hearing from you. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for the opportunity to share. Yeah, thank for you. sure. And leaving us with those powerful last words you said, solution and take the first step. Because yeah, odds are you're not going to find the solution on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, right? It's it's let's take that first step. Find somebody who's been through what you've been through or a therapist that cater to you know what your struggle is and and take that step and that's what we do at ocj is you don't have to take the step alone we'll go with you we'll we'll because it's terrifying at the start we've all been there so yeah wonderful we really want the great work you guys i really appreciate it and hey i'd love to come back anytime so if you're ever looking for somebody because nobody will uh uh, schedules don't work out uh, invite me back i'd love to be a part of it 100 percent. awesome thanks so much you're on the repeat list bob (laughs) <laughs> thanks and have a great day up there in Calgary man take, take care, care Bob. of yourself thanks awesome that was awesome from darkness to life is an our collective journey podcast these are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges if these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn our collective journey is here for you Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.